Good evening and welcome everyone to another episode of Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor. I am your host, Peter Slayton, Executive Director of Crucial Productions, which is the organization that uh, puts this show, this podcast together. Joining me today, uh, two very special guests. We have Pastor Merritt Dembski of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois. Wave to the people. Blow them kisses. No, don't blow them kisses. You don't have to do that. (laughs) And also joining us from Hamill, Illinois, where he currently resides, Pastor William Whedon, LCMS chaplain, director of worship. Well, you can correct those titles later on, Pastor Whedon, if necessary. (laughs) You can wave to the people, too, because you're also on camera now. Yay! (laughs) We are talking again. Once again, we're going through the large catechism. We are on the second part of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be covering petitions four through seven this evening, and our pastors have joined us to help walk us through this this wonderful, um, I don't know, magnum opus of Luther. That's probably not the right way to say it, but it's great stuff that Luther has put together, particularly we're going to dig deep to understand what scripture has to say, how Luther gets to where he gets based on scripture, because when we're thinking like a confessor, we want to be able to thoroughly and deeply understand what scripture says so that when we read the large catechism, we say, yeah, this is what the Bible says. This is awesome because I know my scripture so well that when I read this, I recognize it saying the same thing back to me. So, Crucial Conversations. This is a podcast as well. You can subscribe to that. Links are in the description down below. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. If you're watching live, you're doing that on YouTube. There's a subscribe button. I don't know where where it is, but push that button. Subscribe. Help us get to at least 100 subscribers because then I can do some new cool things with the channel and customize and all that kind of stuff. So also join the Grokmoot. That is our Facebook group. This series, as I have said at the beginning of every episode, is based off of a reading plan, a daily reading plan we are all doing together in the Grokmoot on Facebook. The link to that is down below as well. You can uh, see the daily readings with the rest of the group, discuss them there in the group. We are reading through, wait, there, now it's right side up, the Concordia Lutheran Confessions. If we're talking page numbers, I mentioned page numbers. It's the second edition here. And we are on page 417 through 423. As always, we're not going to actually be reading the entire text because that's what the reading plan is for in the Grokmoot. So go in the Grokmoot, get the reading plan there. We're here to walk you through it. So, Pastor Whedon, we're going to start with you. There is a division that comes right here in the Lord's Prayer. We, We switch in the petitions, petitions one through three speak a certain way, and petitions four through seven speak another way. Walk us through uh, that difference and talk a little bit about it for us. Okay. Well, the first the, the first division of the, the first three petitions is thy, 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 right? These are theological petitions. They have to do with God's name, God's uh, will, uh, God's kingdom, and God's will. And then the next set of petitions are us, our, 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 our. And as you work your way through them, forgive us, uh, um, or uh, give us our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. So they're all about, uh, about us and specific gifts that we're asking from God. Uh, so basic division between it. We start, first of all, with the things that he himself that we want to bring, that we want glory to come from for him from these petitions, you know, that, that, you know, father, we, we don't want, we don't want our name to be anything. We want your name to be everything. And, and, and we don't want our, our, our kingdom, man. It needs to be your kingdom, your, your gifts. And then similarly with your will, not my will, not the will of the devil, not the will of the simple world, your will be done. So after that's taken care of first, then we move to the, our stuff. And uh, it's pretty striking that even in the R stuff, we don't even get to what we would think of as the most spiritual, the, um, the forgive us our trespasses, until you get to the fifth petition. I mean, you're, you're way down in prayer by the time you get to that, which is kind of neat, too. Cool. Pastor Merritt, Pastor Dembski, we're, uh, whatever, you're Pastor, Pastor Guy there. 
<laughs> so at, at, at big events, because we have two pastors at our congregation, I usually just wear a name tag that says the other pastor. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. that you're, so you're the other pastor yeah. or a pastor, pastor, something yeah. like that. So well, last week, uh, our pastors who are on the show both got an opportunity to talk about what prayer is and to define prayer. So I'm going to give both of you guys a chance to do that as well, starting with you, Pastor Dembski. What is prayer? Well, prayer is going before God humbly, uh, going before him with all of our needs as he asks us to, as he gives us command to, that he is our loving father, that hears our prayers, that, uh, you know, Jesus uses that example. If even uh, you who are wicked people know how to give your children good gifts, think how much more the father. So we are uh, told that we can come to the Lord, that he hears our prayers and um, that he is there for us in every need. Hmm. Pastor Whedon? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say a, a huge amen to that. I think there's no better definition of what prayer actually is than the introduction to the Our Father itself um, in Luther's explanation of the small catechism. So, you know, prayer is talking to God like children talk to their father who loves them. That's what hmm. prayer is. And that's what's uniquely Christian prayer. I mean, everybody I shouldn't say everybody, most religions have prayer running somewhere, right? You know, yeah. this idea of, of talking to or sending petitions and thoughts up to something. But Christianity is the only one where you actually talk to God like children talking to their father who loves them. That's mm. what sets Christian prayer apart and makes it be truly unique. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. I'll give a big amen to that as well. So as, as we're getting into prayer, one, one question that I had as we're switching between these kinds of petitions is it can be, uh, well, let me put it this way. It's a very common to see prayer as manipulating God. Now, I'm not going to necessarily think of it in such crass terms, but think of the petitions that we have here. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, I'm going to ask God for something and I'm trying to get him to give me this thing that I want. So that That is very often how we think about prayer. How do we avoid that particular pitfall? Uh, last week, we talked about not my will, but your will be done. So we know that if we think about prayer as manipulating God, as if it's my will being done, we know that's wrong. We learned that last week. But how, as we're moving into these petitions especially, how do I avoid that? How, how do I avoid looking at prayer as, I'm going to ask God for these things I want, and I hope he gives them to me. Who wants that one first? <laughs> well, I'm, the first thing I can think of is, uh, I remember a class at seminary where we talked about that very fact. And when we talk about prayer, so oftentimes there's, uh, in our culture, this idea that, well, if you get a whole bunch of people to pray, then we can twist God's arm really well. You know, like that. Kind yeah. Of like, why do you why do you join together with others in prayer? And it's let's it's, get all our prayer warriors together. And the more prayer warriors we have, the more likely God is to hear our prayer and answer it in the specific way we want. And that, exactly. that, that's one way that actually happens. Exactly. And when uh, when we talk about that, we're not manipulating, we're not twisting God's arm. But he, I, as we talked about already, as we start this off, that he is our father that we go to him as children. And, and that is an amazing thought that we don't go to him trying to say, Hey, look at how, look at all the great things I've done. Look at all the, look at all this that makes it that you should now listen to me. Instead, it's look at what Jesus did and remember what you called me because of that. And here's the things that you know that I, I need in this life. And so Lord, hear my prayer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Pastor, Reed, you know, what do you have to add there? I, I don't, I, there's a way of praying that sounds an awful lot like you're reminding God of his sins of omission. Um, <laughs> and, 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 I, I, I think that when we, when we fall into that trap, there is no better place to go than to visit the wedding of Cana and watch Mary. Because Mary teaches us how to pray. Um, think about what happens there. She's at the wedding. Jesus and the disciples are there. Do they run out of wine? Because Jesus and the disciples showed up. Who knows? But they've run out. What does she do? She observes her neighbor's need. She takes her neighbor's need into her heart and she brings it and lays it at the feet of Jesus. She doesn't tell him what to do. She just says, son, they don't have any wine. And his response is really kind of enigmatic 
I, I still don't know. You, you, you have to get Dr. Armbrist to tell you what, what the Greek actually means there. I can't make heads or tails on it. It's like, what to you and to me, uh, which comes across to me. I don't see this in any of the translations, but it sounds to me more like he's saying, what's that got to do with us? Um, kind of a rough answer. And I imagine that she gives him that look like, you know, don't pull that on me. I know <laughs> and, 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 and she doesn't say anything to the serpents except for do whatever he tells you. And she just leaves it in his hands. She's not telling him, this is what you need to do. This is how you're going to do it. And this is when I want it done by. <laughs> she doesn't do any of that. Yeah. She just simply takes the need and says, here you go, Jesus. This is, this is something that only you can deal with right now. And yeah. look at what happens. Now, you, you mentioned at the, at the beginning uh, of your answer there, reminding God of his sins of omission. We may have, uh, listening to this show, watching this show, uh, individuals who maybe don't come from a Lutheran background. And so this, this phrase, sins of omission, when I hear that, I'm immediately reminded of my confession every, mor- every Sunday morning um, in church at the beginning of the divine service. But we may have people who aren't familiar with that particular term. What, what do you mean by that, as, especially in the way in which you're using it, you're yeah, reminding sure. God sure. of sins of omission? The, the, a sin of commission is something that you actually go out and, and do that God said not to do. So um, I don't know. He said, God says, don't steal. And you go and steal. You have committed uh, you know, a sin of there's a commission there. It's a commission. But the sin of omission is when God tells you to do something and you don't do it. You just sort of let it hang. And so when I said since God's sins of omission, the idea is we sometimes think, God, did you forget about this? This is the problem here. You need to deal with this. <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 and we're reminding him of that. I think Mary's example gives us the right way of dealing with it. It's like, okay, my neighbor is hurt. My neighbor is in need. There's something wrong here. And it, it's, it's my privilege, my joy to be able to take this and hand it over to Jesus and just leave it at his feet. And uh, I don't know, one of my favorite ways of actually praying every, every night when I think about the people that are going through rough times that I try to keep in my prayer, um, yeah, I say that the night prayer um, from the catechism. And uh, remember that ends, uh, uh, it, you know, um, it, it, into your merciful hands, um, command myself and body, soul and all things, let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. And then I just sort of open that out to, and into your merciful hands, I commend um, our next door neighbor, Marcia, who is dying, um, and Rich, her husband, Adam, her son, and, and their family, and also my friend mm-hmm. Stephanie and her husband, Carlo, um, who, who also has cancer, my, our, our friend at work, Rich, um, and, and Paula. You know, we, we lift these people. I, I literally say, I put them into your hands. I put them into your hands. And then I ask, let your holy angel be with them, and do not let the evil foe have any power over them. Amen. And that's that's kind of uh, uh, the way that I actually try to make the prayer, um, well, to do what Mary did, to literally p- take people up, put them in the arms of Jesus and let that be, 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 be the, the, the th- that's what to me prayer really is. Yeah. Amen. So as we get into the petitions, first of all, for those who are watching and listening, a quick reminder, what are the, the petitions? The, the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. The fifth petition, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation. The seventh and last petition, but deliver us from evil. Amen. So those are the four petitions we're going to go through tonight. And so pastors, um, Pastor Merritt, I'm going to go to you first on this one as we are looking at scripture. To, To understand these verses, of course, we have... Christ himself giving us the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so we de- certainly want to look there uh, if you guys want to talk about that. But where else in Scripture should we be looking to help us understand uh, Christ's command? If this is how we should pray and pray in this way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we talk about our daily bread and as it's uh, uh, fleshed out in the large catechism and the small catechism, this idea of having exactly what we need 
for each day. And it was actually uh, Pastor Whedon had, had brought up Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. And this is one that not too long ago, we went through the book of Proverbs with our high schoolers. And this one really stood out to me because you know how you, you can read scripture a whole bunch of times and you know, every time you read it, there's just a verse that stands out to you and then you keep on mm-hmm. running into it, you know. And it was uh, Proverbs 30, verse 8 says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. This idea that, um, uh, and I know there's another proverb that, that talks about uh, not having so much that I neglect prayer and going to the Lord, but also not having so little that I feel neglected or you know, like that kind of thing. This idea that we have exactly what we need, that we're trusting in him and not, um, uh, I mean, we even see that in uh, uh, Exodus when the people got the food for the day. You know, they had the manna. They had exactly what they needed for that day. and Just that for, day. Exactly. Yeah. And they had exactly what they needed, and especially in our, our time of wanting to store everything up all the time. I and mean, of course, we have to be wise with what we're with our resources and stuff. But this idea of, Lord, give us exactly what we need. And having that fleshed out to say that that's everything that we need, not just the bread that's on the table, but all the all the things that get the bread to the table and all the faculties that we have about us to be able to consume the bread and all of that, the everything that we pray that uh, the Lord would provide for us. Um, and so that's, I guess, the first place I'd go. <laughs> sure. Pastor Whedon? Yeah, you know, I, on, on that, <laughs> I want to actually, can we back up to the actual words of the prayer? Because yes. this, this one is really weird. Um, w- when Jesus taught us to pray, he, he used in, in, in Matthew and in Luke, the same word is used. Tanepiusian um, arton, the epiusian. This is a, a word that we have to really honestly confess no one knows what it means. <laughs> it, 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 it is a hapox. It, it occurs only in Matthew's version of the prayer and Luke's version of the prayer in all of Greek literature. In other words, the, the the evangelists were either transcribing which if Jesus gave the prayer in Greek they're transcribing his actual words or they're trying to make up a new word to translate what he might have said in Aramaic and nobody knows for sure how to translate if you just want to I mean if any of our hearers here just write down epiusion e p i o u s i o n and just check it out on Wikipedia. They got a great article on it um, because this really weird word. Uh, it, well, is this the one that translates to daily bread? Uh, th- this is this is the one for for for, for daily, right? Okay. Okay. Only, gotcha. Only um, adverb in the Lord's prayer, and and this thing when Jerome put it when Jer- uh, Jerome is the great translator from uh, from. From well, he sort of updated the Latin text from the Greek and the Hebrew, so he 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 actually couldn't decide which meaning to give it. So in Matthew, he translated it with uh, what we would say super substantial or supernatural bread. Give us the supernatural bread today, and then huh. in Luke, he went with daily. Give us the the quotidian bread, the, the the bread for the day, and. Which one is it? Is it bread from like super uh, bread coming down from, from, from above like manna or, with a clear implication that is this Eucharistic, you you know, running in the background there or in even the word itself as, as um, our, our daily food from God, or is this actually talking about the, what you need to get by day by day? Um, it's kind of funny that the, the, the form of prayer that came to be used in the church when the church recited it, had daily, so quotidian, the, the bread for the bread for the day, mm. um, and you know that's what Luther offers in German tägliche Brot. This is what comes into English daily bread, um, but that super substantial stuff was never quite forgotten. And so, like when Luther begins talking about the Catechism early on, he talks an awful lot about this bread being um, Eucharistic bread. God's got Eucharistic bread to give us. And then throughout the 1520s, he just keeps on shifting more and more to, you know, that he does. He does. He gives us Eucharistic bread. But I think it's talking about him giving us what we need to get through day by day. Um, And I really think finally that where he settles down on that is really a helpful place to be. You're asking God 
for this. Um, give us what we give us that which we need to get through this day. Hmm. Um, that's huge because we've always got. I was talking to uh, Lukomsky today on Die Strong Word, and uh, he mentioned that they had their plans all laid out for the summer. Everything was going to happen, and then his father-in-law had some major medical issues and ended up. He's now with them, and forget the plans for the summer. It's that's. I think changed. I think God absolutely loves to. You know, we drop our plans and hand them to Him, and He takes them and laughs, tears them up, and throws them out. And, and, Let's and, try that again. And then He says, "You know, I'm going to give you everything you need for each day, and what you need for each day to to live your life in love in Him. He's going to give you." That's what you need. And that's what we're asking for. Um, like the, you know, like uh, Pastor Demsky pointed out with the manna, we, we would like to have a store, man. I would like to have 20 days worth of bread to know sure, you know, it's going to be okay, right? You know, and, and God's answer was, yeah, that rots. Um, what you need is what I'm going to give you each day. And I'm your father and I'm going to take care of you and you can trust me. Um, we really struggle with that, but that's why I think we just come back to this prayer over and over again. Give us what we need each single day to live this day, yeah. this moment. We we've talked we talked about the first commandment way back in the, the second episode of this series, and how it's the only commandment when Luther explains it where he includes the word trust. Trust, right? Um, and we're right back to that, particularly yeah. in this one, because our the things of this world our daily needs can so easily weigh us down and become idols where we trust in having those things. Um, Pastor Dembski, like you said, you know, if I had 20, you know, 20 days worth, if I had a storehouse worth, then I'd be okay. Well, what am I trusting in exactly? And so, yeah, this prayer is teaching us much more than just asking for that daily bread. Yeah. Pastor well, Dembski. In- and I was I was kind of goofy because I'd pulled up some verses ahead of time and I just pulled up Proverbs 30, verse 8. And if I'd have pulled up 8 and 9, I'd have seen exactly what I was trying to point out. Before. Oh, hey, let's look, go right in. Let's see that. Because it's uh, verse 8 and 9 says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So finding wow. that... You know, like, and when we, when we read, when I read this with the high schoolers, it was like, man, everything in our culture would point us to, well, ourselves, first of all, (laughs) you know, I mean, (laughs) everything revolves around us, but this idea of having that trust so much that says, I need exactly what I need for today so that I don't fall into sin on either side, that I don't neglect you, nor do I trust in something other than you to get by. You know, and, and it's and, just beautiful. And we can even narrow it down to, because I, I can even turn into an idol. Well, I have enough for today. So I'm good until this evening. And if I go to sleep, I'll still be full by the time I wake up. And we can even really, if we're going to actually talk about what this trust actually is, well, it's not just today, but we can even break that down into smaller times. You know, this this morning, this evening, this hour, and how this moment, how quickly I will lean on trusting anything else. Let's put that with, be honest, anything else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's so many other uh, things that we really need to pack out of there, but it's like we could spend the entire time in this petition. Uh, <laughs> when, when, when Pastor uh, Dembski pointed out the, um, what does it take to have a loaf of bread? I mean, you just stop and think, think your way through that. <laughs> And by the time you're done, you're like, wait a minute, to have bread, what do you need? You need flour. Where does flour come from? Flour comes from wheat. Well, no, it doesn't. It comes from a store for most of us. Okay, so you, how do you get to a store? Oh, on roads. Well, how did you, how did you get there? I had a car. Well, what was filling the car? Gas. What was, you know, or if you walk to the store, fine. You walk to the store and picked up your flour. I can actually do that in the little town I live in. And, and, and how did the flour get there? Well, it came from a mill and it came from a mill. Again, you have to have roads and society and all of that. And then from the, from, from the mill, where did it come from? Well, you know, it came from the farmer who planted the seed. And then you had to have good weather and you had to have rain and you had to have, you know, sunshine. All this stuff flows into what you have to have 
a loaf of bread. It, the bread itself is a powerful symbol and sign of the web of our relationships. And uh, when God asks, teaches us to ask, he, asks, he wants us to ask for this web of relationships. And notice that it really begins with our. This is not, I, 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 prayer is never, ever a me thing. Not the prayer Jesus teaches us to pray. Hmm. Never. It's, it's an our thing. Um, it's with him, us, and the people who are the members of his body. Our. Give us our daily bread. So when you pray that, you're not just asking for what you need every day. He didn't teach you to pray, give me my daily bread. He teaches you to pray, I'm, I'm of a web. I'm of a piece. We belong together. Give us hmm. our daily bread. And I know we already mentioned before the nature that it had been spiritualized and then mm -hmm. more physicalized, if that's a term, mm -hmm. whatever. I like you it. Know. That works. <laughs> Incarnated? Yeah. Incarnational. Oh, wait, yeah. So it's, it's all about this, this physical side. Even the things we've talked about here have been much more on the nature of us living in this world in our physical body. And so oftentimes we want to neglect this life and neglect this body and neglect, you know, for the sake of the higher, better spiritual stuff. It's like, nope, this world still exists and this life still exists. And that's something even recently. And I've, I've, I try to be healthy, but I've realized more recently, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta be healthier, you know, and, and keep this body going and not eat that 17th slice of pizza, you know, but think about what I'm 16's doing. 16's okay. You know? It's the 17th yeah. that was too much. That's, that's where the line's drawn, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but trying to take care of that body. And I remember uh, a professor saying the one time, uh, I can't remember what the quote is from, but a person talking about, you know, feeling like this body's just weighing them down. If they could just have a brain that was going around and learning and growing and, you know, that spiritual side of things, but you oh. got to take care of that body thing too. It's like, no, God made us body and soul. And here, uh, as Pastor Whedon was saying, this our daily bread, uh, helping us in our uh, physical life and all that we need. So, And I, I think one thing we want to pick up too with the daily bread is if it's our daily bread, then we're also, when we pray that petition, we're praying that God would use us to be the instruments through whom uh, daily bread would be given to other people too. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, yeah. this gets to be part of the fun thing of, uh, of actually being his people as we see somebody that's actually in need and hungry. And we're like, cool, <laughs> here we go. Um, yeah. You know, and we don't have to make a big thing. We don't have to write Bible verses on, on, on that. If, if it's, I don't know, say, say you go to, um, I know that just, you go to Starbucks and you buy them a cup of coffee. You don't write a Bible verse on the cup of coffee. You just give them the cup of coffee, you know? And, and, and I think the more that we actually share the love of Christ tangibly to one another that way, especially to our fellow Christians, but beyond that, be, I mean, we begin with the household of faith, but we never stop there. If the household of faith is all bent on doing this. It's going to touch people in this world. They're going to say, well, why do you care? Nobody else cares. Why do you care? And that's what Peter was saying after when he said, not this Peter, the real Peter. You know, be ready to give an answer to the, anyone who asks you for the hope that's in you. Um, and if we don't get asked about the hope that's in us, maybe it's because we haven't been working on that, uh, uh, sharing that love that way. Um, so, I mean, I think the daily bread is, is, is huge. And, and our, the, the table that he wants to set before. Well, this is his image, right? God's idea of heaven is, I got a big table and a place for everyone there. We're going to be together forever and celebrating. And, uh, you know, the marriage. And a, and a big, big yard where we can play football. Anybody? I got that reference. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that one, but you know, uh, <laughs> the, the, the idea that, that it is being together and being together around his material gifts. Um, mm -hmm. That's great. And, and you know, one more, one more thing on the, the, you mentioned the, the, just being the brain thing, the weird thing that the, the, the scientists are fighting out is a lot of stuff that we thought was the brain is actually the gut biome. And, <laughs> and, and, you know I mean? You're, the, the Hebrews really might've been right when they located an awful lot of that stuff in your bowels. <laughs> Surprise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that bowel one. Um, okay, don't, yeah, don't, okay. Don't touch that. go on. <laughs> okay, so we, we've begun, I, I like this transition of talking about 
hour and this community together that we are part of something larger, uh, even as we pray that God would provide for others. Now, when we're dealing with others, we're going to have, <laughs> for those on the podcast, I'm bumping my fists together here. We're, we're going we're gonna to butt heads a little bit. And so our, I, I love it that the very next petition that Jesus has us talking about is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, first question I want to ask, we do have a viewer question I want to bring in on this as well. But the first question is, this kind of makes it sound like forgiveness is conditional and it's conditioned on my action. Is that right? Am I missing something? How do we uh, work our way through this little sticky wicket here? Because I'm a Lutheran and I know forgiveness is never about me. So it can't be that. What are we saying? Or am I wrong? Pastor Reed, I'm going to give this one to you first. Okay. You know, I think the only way to get at this is to go to Jesus' words in Matthew 18. And uh, I just absolutely love how this thing starts. Peter, you know, comes up to him and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I wonder if he's looking at Andrew when he asked the question. As many as seven times, you know, and Jesus answers with, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven or 77 times, depending on how you want to translate that particular phrase. But then he does this weird parable thing. Listen to this. So the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began the reckoning, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents which is one big heaping pile of money that no, I mean, the people hearing this originally would have been, holy crow, nobody could ever owe that much and hope to pay it off, right? That's the point. <laughs> How would you even uh, begin to owe that much is probably a question too. Right, right. I mean, you know, right. How can you steal that much? I mean, it's like, that. that's really what it amounts to. Um, and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Lord, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. At which point, all the original hearers would have been snorting. It's like, he can't pay him everything. He can't pay him that. There's no way it's going to happen. And then the shocker, and out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out and came upon his, one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. 100 denarii is not a little bit of money. Um, a denarii, a day's wage, so 100 days' wages. So a third of a year's salary is basically what that amounts to. It's a big debt. So people sometimes make this sound like it's a trivial debt. It's not a trivial debt. It's a big debt. But it's not a humongous debt. It's not yeah. beyond all reason debt, right? It's at um, least repayable. It's repayable. Um, and he, he, the, the, his fellow, uh, he, he, he seized him, and um, by the throat, and he says, pay what you owe me. And his fellow servant falls down and besought him, deja vu all over again, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servant saw what had taken place, because they just seen this guy get his whole massive, unbelievably huge debt wiped out and then be a real jerk to the next guy refusing to forgive him. They, they, they went and reported to the master, to the Lord, all that had taken place. And the Lord summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you asked me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord delivered him to the jailers till he should pay all his debt. He got his, all his debt back by refusing to forgive his neighbor. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Don't you dare try to wiggle out of that passage. That is exactly what the Lord said, but you gotta be really clear. The forgiveness that he, he got at the beginning was totally unmerited forgiveness. He did nothing to deserve that. He asked for it, he got it. But when he wouldn't live in it, when he wouldn't, when he took the ball and went home rather than passing it on, that's when he lost 
everything. Mm. Um, now, you know, Luther's take on this particular one, I think is absolutely one of my favorites of all time. Um, he, he absolutely flips it. <laughs> the way, instead of thinking of it like, oh man, if I don't forgive them, I'm going to lose forgiveness. He's like, so every time I forgive, I get the assurance that my sins are forgiven. Luther says, anything the sacrament can do, man, that's what this petition can do. So somebody wrongs you, and you're like, ah, I'm going to communion right now. And, and you say, <laughs> I forgive you. And you know, in saying that, your own sins are wiped out and gone. It's it, Not that that caused your sins to be wiped out and gone. That's the assurance to you that your sins are wiped out and gone. Mm-hmm. Because nobody can do that except for somebody who's had their debt totally gone, totally wiped out by the mm-hmm. blood of Jesus. So, I mean, I, I think it's an exciting petition that way. And, and Luther would have us live toward not being afraid that we're not, um, that, w- that w- we're going to be stingy with our forgiveness and going to lose forgiveness. He's encouraging us to think of it the other way around. You, you get to absolutely wipe out other people's debts as the promise that your sins are gone. And that's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. Pastor Merritt? I, that is something that has really struck me about the Christian church that isn't talked about all that much. And I mean, today on, on uh, Concord Matters, we were talking about forgiveness, repentance, and all that. And, and we have been. But um, that the fact that we can forgive people because we are forgiven, you know, and that in that forgiveness, um, it, it's a beautiful thing to think that what have I to hold against anyone when all of my sins have been forgiven? When someone repents and comes to us and says, you know, I've done something wrong, who are we to say, nope? <laughs> you know, like when you think about the, the full uh, weight of what our sin, uh, what our debt was that Christ paid on the cross for us, and you think about how beautiful it is that anything that someone does to us, we can forgive them. And that we don't have to worry about uh, our uh, you know, getting back at them or holding it against them, you know, but that people can come to the church and confess what has been wrong and hear that forgiveness. You and know, it's not something we're beautiful. coming up with on our own, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. your point. It's yeah. like his forgiveness. That's where you, he's, he, there's an, uh, this reservoir of forgiveness that's so massively huge that, I mean, can you imagine trying to stop it up? You'd explode, you know, <laughs> let it, let it go. Let it flow through. And, and, and as we do that, we're actually living in the joy of God himself, which is just to wipe out sins. That's what, mm-hmm. that's what floats his yeah. So yeah. Elizabeth, who is watching live on YouTube, has a question that I think you, you may have already addressed this with learning to think about it, flipping it on its head and thinking the other way. But she says, when, when we're praying this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. Is it wrong to add, Lord, help me to do this? No way! We need to do that all the time. Yeah, no. no. Lord, help me to do that. Lord, help me to help me to forgive like you've forgiven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, one other thing I want to stress too. For, people sometimes think, "Oh man, I must not have really forgiven him because I remembered it again." Um, no. Uh, if Satan tries to give you a bad conscience by always bringing sin back to your mind again and again and again, this is like, you know, the things that people have done to you that have hurt you, right? To get you bitter and angry. Hmm. And, and every time he brings it up, you just say, oh, thank you. I get to forgive them one more time. And that is the assurance to me that my sins are forgiven and gone. You have been a blessing to me today by reminding me of that law. It, it, it changes how we, and so the more, the more things are brought up, the more you forgive. I think he gets tired. Satan gets tired of throwing them in your face. He's like, Oh, that's not working. If every time I do that, they're going to be running. To, I'm just to, making to it worse. That's making it worse. <laughs> yeah. Enough of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I've, I've got a question that uh, has come up in the, in the Grok moot about prayer. Uh, as we're talking, when we pray, to, to be for, to have our sins forgiven. We've talked about, we do have assurance that they are forgiven. It's, it can be maybe a fine line to distinguish between that assurance and then 
kind of turning the corner and beginning to see prayer as kind of a, a sacrament or the, the means of delivering that forgiveness to us? How, how do we see prayer rightly? Because we don't call prayer a sacrament. But as Christians, we often do talk about when I pray and confess my sins, I, they are forgiven. How how do we how do we walk in in that if it's attention or or what how do we how do we deal with that, Pastor Merritt? I'm going to go to you first on that one. Oh boy, uh, that's a good one. I, I it's it's one that I've I've thought about and I don't know if I have the best way to articulate it at the moment. I I don't mean to to kick it away from myself immediately. I just don't know if I well, can articulate it. Well, this wasn't in the show well. notes, so once again, I'm I'm picking a question that I didn't prepare you guys for. <laughs> oh, no, just, just broadly in general, because I've heard that question come up, and I've been trying to figure out how to articulate it and how to think through it theologically and scripturally to, to articulate it properly. Uh, Pastor Whedon, do you have a better way that you've thought about that before already? Or? Well, I think it's really helpful if you remember Luther's words that we have to make a sharp distinction between um, how forgiveness is won and how forgiveness is bestowed. Um, forgiveness for the sins of the entire world has been won by the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. But you don't go to Calvary to get your sins forgiven. You know, I, it's one of the worst hymns in the hymnal. Come to Calvary's holy mountain, sinners ruined by the... You don't go to Calvary's holy mountain, you know? Um, he never told you to do that. That I mean, doesn't make any sense at all. Um, instead, he arranges for the benefits from Calvary to come to you. And when you ask for the forgiveness of sins, he's going to give that forgiveness to you, but he always gives it with his word of promise. The word of promise can be attached to a sign, like to baptism or to the Eucharist, um, or to forgiving the person who has wronged you. There's a, a, he's attached to a sign. Um, but it's always his word of promise that grants the forgiveness, not your prayer. All you're doing in prayer is say, give me this gift, and it would be silly to say that you're, you're saying, give me this gift is um, the, the fulfillment of the prayer itself. No, he fulfills the prayer by giving you the promises. So it, the, the greatest place we go find forgiveness is to listen to the promises of the gospel, especially the promise of absolution. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pastor Merritt, anything to add? Any, any additional thoughts come to mind? Nope, that was pretty good. Okay. <laughs> All right. I just wanted to give you a chance just in case. I didn't, didn't want to pass yeah. you over there. Right, let's, let's, let's move on to, to the next one because this one, this petition, lead us not into temptation. I mean, Luther in the, in the small catechism immediately says, God tempts no one. So let's get that out there. You know, we're going to immediately say God tempts Quoting no James. One. Quoting James, yes. Um, good point. Thank you. And yet every time I pray this, I can't get it out of my head that, well, God, is, I'm praying God leading me not into temptation. So logically he must be leading me into temptation somehow. It's like, I, I can't do it. My brain hurts. What, help me out. <laughs> what, what does scripture say about this? Uh, you know well, what? I, go ahead. Go ahead. It. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go I put the camera on merit. So he goes first. Go Pastor merit. Oh, go ahead. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, just this idea, like you said from James, that, that God does not tempt us. But we pray that he would not allow us to be led into temptation, which is very interesting that we pray that because there are so many Christians who would say, once I have uh, become a Christian, I I don't sin. And if I sin, then I must be doing something wrong. You know, like I must not really be a Christian because I've sinned rather than acknowledging, yeah, we sin. And yet Christ has redeemed us and we continue to ask for that forgiveness when we do sin. But asking that uh, we would not face those temptations that when temptation comes that we would look to Christ and look to him and run the other way, you know? Yeah. Pastor Whedon. Yeah. I think this actually is another uh, linguistic problem. Normally Mm -hmm. Greek is actually more precise than English. Like um, people remember C.S. Lewis's four loves, which maybe overstates the case, but I mean, it does show that there are different nuances to the different words for love, right? Um, Agape, storge, phile, and um, Phileo and uh, um, Eros. Uh, Eros. So you've got all, all these different distinctions of, of, of love there. But here we've got one word in Greek that's actually carrying um, three separate ideas. Uh, and one of those ideas is tempt, as in the sense of lure. 
And when James says he doesn't tempt us, and Luther says he doesn't tempt us, what they mean is he doesn't try to lure you into sin. But it's the, mm-hmm. they use the exact same word for test, like he's testing your faith. He does test your faith. God tested Abraham, testing your giveableness. He tosses the hot potato into your hands for you to toss it back to him. He does this all the time. So testing he does. And then also it's the same as the word that's used for metallurgy, for trying, where you're, you know, you're purifying it and, and, and refining something. You're, you're trying it. So all of those conglomerate into that one word. When you're praying, lead us not into temptation, um, I think the big, the big prayer that's running behind it is in the midst of, in those moments when I think I'm going to, I'm not sure I can do this. I'm going to come unglued from you. Oh, please don't let me come to this. Please save me from, from letting this happen. Um, do you remember when, when, I mean, Jesus talks about this with Peter in the garden. Um, Peter, he himself is, is, is he's, he's sweating blood um, mm-hmm. under the weight of what's coming at him, the terror of this cup that his father is reaching him. And they, he said, you know, father, there isn't any other way or, your will be done. He's in he, the Lord's prayer is throughout that entire uh, Gethsemane scene. But when he comes and finds them sleeping, it's like, oh, Peter, couldn't you have, have watched with me? Um, watch and wait. And, you know, the, 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 the spirit's willing, but, but the flesh is weak. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. And the temptation there is the temptation to let the flesh triumph over the spirit. So when, when Luther unpacks it, he says there, you know, you got these three enemies. You got the world or the devil, the world, and your sinful nature. And all of them have one goal in common to disconnect you from Jesus. All of them have that as a common goal. That is the one thing they want to do, to have you come disconnected from Jesus. And when you pray, lead us not into temptation. You're praying, Lord, don't let me come into those moments that are so severe that I'd be tempted to let go of you. Mm-hmm. The, the final petition, I'm going to kind of lump these two together a little bit, is is very closely tied mm-hmm. to this because we've already mentioned the evil one, the devil himself. And so the final petition is, but deliver us from evil. Um, it seems to me that quite a lot of evil befalls me in my life. I don't think God's doing a very good job of delivering me from evil. <laughs> All right, go <laughs> fix me. <laughs> Which one? I don't know. Where start wherever you want to. I mean, I mean this, know, this is my human experience. No, God's I mean, not doing a good job of delivering me from evil. I, I, I point to when, when, when I'm teaching the explanation to the first article, um, that, you know, that he rescues me from all evil. Um, I, I always say, why, why do we teach our kids such lies? I mean, <laughs> why, why, why do we stand there? I mean, it's like, how can you? You say that to 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 the, to the girl that's been raped, or the boy that's been raped. You say mm-hmm. that you know you're you're saying you're saying God always delivers you from evil. What does what does that even mean? Um, and I I mean what I'm trying to get at there is I don't think it means what we think it means. It, it doesn't mean He delivers you from bad things happening to you. That's manifestly not the case, right? Um, think about when Jesus sends the apostles out. He tells them, "I give you power." over all the enemy, you know, um, you, you have power over serpents and scorpions, the one that bites with the head, the one that bites to the tail, from evil from start to finish. Nothing will by any means hurt you. How did they all die except for John? How did they die? Nothing will hurt them? What? <laughs> They're all martyred. <laughs> They're all martyred. So when Jesus said nothing would by any means hurt them, he was not saying that they would not have horrible things happen to them in life. He was saying that the horrible things that happen to them in life are not going to be able to destroy them. Mm-hmm. So I, deliver, deliver us from evil, I think, is that prayer that it, it, as you go through the horrible things that can happen, Lord, don't let that destroy me. Well, and I, I commonly rest on the this isn't the end of the story. Right. That, that you know, uh, with that idea of delivers us from evil. Yeah ultimately, ultimately, right? Deliver us from that eternal 
uh, eternal damnation, eternal evil of the devil, the evil one, that no temptation would lead me away from trusting in him. Nothing would pull me away, but everything would point me to Christ. And that ultimately, in the end, I have life. Because so often uh, we want to make everything about this life here and now, that everything will be perfect, everything will be beautiful. Well, no, that's not what is ever promised. You know, like you said, why do we, why it bugs the heck out of me when I'll hear someone say, or you'll hear an advertisement on uh, something that is just like a Christian labeled something. And I'll be like, I knew that Jesus was real and I gave my life to Jesus when this, this, and this went right. And all of a sudden yeah. everything was good. And then I knew that God was real. And it's like, yeah, but that's, yeah. that's not the point. You know, like I'm, I'm glad that a couple things went well for you, but as soon as those things no longer go well, then is God really real? You know, and the, the whole point is his eternal salvation. Have you so, seen the Facebook meme that has um, is making fun of, of Osteen's uh, Your Best Life Now? And it's showing the, the lions racing toward, you know, the Christians huddled in the arena. Your yeah, best sure. life now? Yep. Mm -hmm. And, and yep. Ignatius would say, yep, your best life right now. This is your best life, Jesus. Jesus is your best life. And uh, it doesn't mean that you don't have to face the lions and you don't. You don't get a Daniel into the story, you know, to, to make it be your best life. It, it can be that they chew you to pieces and it's, it's, it's still okay. He's yeah. given you a life that's bigger and stronger than, than death itself. Yeah. Um, I got a great Lutheran version of that. If uh, you guys go over on YouTube and do a search for Lutheran satire, martyrs read Joel Osten tweets. And there's uh, pastor Feeney did a great job of taking some of Joel so Osten's tweets and then juxtaposing them with classic images of martyrs being martyred. So here's St. Peter being crucified upside down, reading a tweet about Joel from Joel Osteen about how every day is a Friday and how awesome it's going to be, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Don't let anyone put you down. Find your right friends, you know, like that yeah. kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And no. here's my head on a platter. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. That right. Right. So, right. So right. Cheryl, Cheryl in the Brock mood had a comment about the sixth petition. I want to give you guys a chance to, to react to this one. Uh, her comment, once again, the Grok mood, our Facebook group, go join it. What stood out most to me on this reading? So sixth petition was the idea in 107. So paragraph 107, that different people are tempted in different ways. The young by the flesh and the old by the world. And particularly that those who are occupied with spiritual matters, that is, strong Christians, feel it from the devil. All the more reason to remain in prayer and the word. We are sitting ducks. What uh, comments or responses to, to Cheryl's remarks there? Uh, amen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's yeah. seriously, that's it, it, the young feel the, the pull of the flesh. Not that the old don't feel it, too. But, you know, the fires don't burn quite as hot when you get old. Um, and, and certainly the temptation throughout middle age is, is toward greed. Um, you know, the pressure of the world. What are people's opinions of you? You care more about that. And then toward the end, I, I think this is an important one too. Not just those in the church, but those coming toward the end of life. Satan, man, he's got, he's got a video, a DVD recording of your whole life. And he just loves when you're laying down at night and trying to go to sleep, he'll plop that thing in and start playing and showing you all of the failures and sins and horrible things you've said and done. He will happily remind you of them all so that you despair. Um, and, and when we pray uh, to be rescued from the time of temptation, we're, we're praying to be rescued from each of those instances, no matter where we are in, in our lives. Yeah. Pastor Dembski. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, like Pastor Whedon said, everyone struggles with sin and temptation, you know, and, and uh, uh, everyone has their own kind of sins that they wrestle with themselves. I mean, besetting nothing. Yeah. Pardon? Besetting sins. Yeah. Right, right. And so everyone has, has things that they struggle with and struggle against. And the devil will continually put that before their eyes, will constantly remind it, um, and constantly put that temptation in front of them. And it might change throughout life. It might be the same temptation and the same sin throughout life. And yet continuing to pray to being removed from that sin that, uh, that, that, uh, 
that final deliverance from evil would take place, you know, mm -hmm. that we don't have to, uh, I, she talked about being sitting ducks and yet it, that was her. Ad, yeah. Yeah. That's how she ended okay. where yeah. sitting that's ducks. Thinking, yeah. And, and that is the case. And one of the things that I know people kind of get caught off guard when I say this, but praise be to God, because it's not about us. It's not like we are the military ducks that have to rest on our own might. We are the little ducks that, wait under our father's wings for protection and go to him for all of our needs that we don't have to be looking to ourselves for strength in those moments. We look to Christ for those strength in those moments. We pray to him. And I've been reading that, uh, that book that CPH came out with not too long ago, the me, myself and I, the unholy Trinity. Book. Oh yeah. Um, Woodford, Woodford. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, it, I don't, I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but one of the things that was pointed out in there is how often do we really pray? Like we'll, we'll throw out a couple words at the beginning of a meeting. We'll throw out a couple words, you know, here and there, but how often do we actually pray? How often do we actually trust what we are saying to God that we are actually giving it over to him? And if you ever have a chance, I, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, has the screw tape letters. And one of the letters I refer to a ton is, uh, talking about the man who lies in his bed, or if you don't know the premise, I mean, it's a, a demon writing to another demon about how to trip up Christians, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the things that he says is, uh, you know, if you can do anything at all, don't let him pray. Like, I don't even care if he's not even praying to the right God. God might hear him and answer, you know, like <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, do not let him pray. And, and the most dangerous thing of all, I mean, it's great if you can get someone that can lay down in bed and really ultimately pray to the top corner of their bedroom ceiling because they have no faith in what they're praying to. But the person who prays to the one true God, the one that he can't even comprehend, but who has revealed himself, you know, that that's, that's when it's the most dangerous. But how often do we actually pray and actually trust in God versus just throwing out a few words and then saying, okay, what are we going to do and how can we fix this problem? You know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we've got a couple more questions uh, from, from Elizabeth. I think they, they came earlier in the show, but I think they really fit right here as well, because we talked about the, the temptations that we can face at different stages in our life. And I think these two can, can fit uh, one, maybe in the earlier stage and one in the later. Um, do Christians think of insurance as helping to take care of those in need? Um, we can even expand that, this whole idea of insurance and trust and daily bread, if we want to get into that. And related to that, and is planning for retirement, how God provides for daily bread later in life. And I'm going to just throw out the option that, or is that simply a pious Christian opinion to justify my lack of trust in God? Pastor Whedon, you're going to get this one first because I maybe you have a retirement plan, and so we're going to you know just drive that home. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Uh, you know, I, I I think that we created these things because we didn't trust. Try and finally, that's what happened. We didn't trust, and uh, we we think, oh my goodness. I can't, I can't count on my father to provide, so I better make sure I have something for me. And uh, I'm as guilty of it as probably everybody listening, thinking, you know, Lord, how can I, how can I, you know, do this? But this, to sort of just say into the whole idea of, of what prayer is actually beginning and learning to live our lives in the presence of the Father who loves us through Jesus Christ. And if we do that, then like, like Pastor Dembski said, it's not just going to be throwing out, you know, doing my religious duty, throwing out a, a few words at the start of a meal or whatever at the end of a meal. It's going to sort of reach out and branch, okay, you're living your whole life in his presence. And he really does want us to come to this point um, by the gift of his spirit where we simply trust that he will provide for absolutely everything. Um, I ain't there. Um, and I, I still pray each day, Lord, give me, give me more, give me more faith. Of course, the answer always comes back. Yeah, all you need is faith, like a mustard seed. You got it covered, right? You can move mountains, not because of your faith, but because your con faith connects you to the one who can move mountains, and He's the one who is providing you everything you need every day. He's giving you every breath, every moment. What do you think He's not going to take care of until it's time for you to come to Him? Yeah. 
Well, and uh, earlier we made this point, but it's something that had been brought up in uh, Pastor Hemmer's Man Up book, that everything that we have, whether it's our mind, our body, you know, all the resources we have are for others, you know, that we are always looking to others. And so uh, Pastor Whedon had brought that up earlier with the whole hour stuff, our daily bread. Mm -hmm. And I think about that with Jesus talking to the rich young guy that didn't want to give up his stuff. And he's just like, how can I store up everything? And he's like, yeah, who's it going to be for? Like this guy wanted everything for himself. But when I think about insurance and stuff, because I've wrestled with that too. Am I not trusting, you know, am I not, uh, you know, if I've got any kind of insurance plan, is that evil? You know, and I remember hearing people talk about that, that there was a day where that was kind of the evil thing to do because you're not Mm -hmm. trusting. And yet we talk about means, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. um, we, we talk about going and working, And that's the means by which we are provided for because God has given us strength. We go and we get a job. We don't just sit in the living room and go, Lord, give me my daily bread. I'm going to sit here and wait for it to show up. You know, like, no, he has given us strength to go and, and work and, and to, uh, to have a means there. And the the old story of the, uh, the, the, the flood coming through an area and the guy standing on the roof and saying, I'm going to wait for God to save me. And then, you know, the boat comes, the helicopter comes, the the person on a raft comes, all of them trying to say, come in, we'll help you. And no, I'm waiting for God to save me. And so I think about that a little bit with the insurance stuff. And it's almost a little bit with, you know, where's the heart? Is it, how can I get enough for me? Or, Or is it a matter of, you know what, this is a means by which I can support and provide for those if something happened to me that they would be cared for, you know, and it's trusting that, you know, it's either going to be there or it's not. And I'm going to use that means to, to do so and not just say, well, if something happens to me, God will provide and he'll figure out how when the time comes, you know, but having that being responsible, that how do you have that balance of, you know, having the heart in the right place type of thing. You know, I got to add that whatever we do, It's never, it should never be the case that in fear, we withhold a good that we have in our hand now that our brother or sister is in need in front of us. And we are like, no, I need, I I might need this for tomorrow. So I'm sticking this away. Mm -hmm. Um, I I have a dear friend, Linda, she is unbelievable. And she has, she's just, her husband's like a, a, a contract engineer type of guy. And man, they made a lot of money and they just kept on anybody that had a need they, they just that was just here you have this have this <laughs> i mean it's the way they live their life it's a blessed way to live um mm-hmm. i mean I, I still i still pray lord raise me up to be a person like linda um because yeah. i'm always still more afraid <laughs> as it's it, it was a bit unfair of me to to twist the question because i think she was wanting to know about this aspect of is it possible to serve my neighbor and so my own thought is there is a law here that that condemns us that kills us because we do recognize our own lack of trust and our own selfishness and wanting to fill up our own storehouses for the future but I, i think you guys have both pointed out even in that sin that we have that is within us god does still use that to to bless our neighbors and and, and to provide for them. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of yeah. what he does. Yep. Um, so, we, so we've made it all the way. The only thing we haven't discussed is this amen. Um, and so our final closing thoughts, I want to give each of you pastors a, a chance to give your, your final thoughts on this episode because we have reached our hour. We're a few minutes over even. Give us your, your amen to our, to our show today. Pastor Merritt, uh, I'm going to give you first chance there. Uh, just that idea. And sorry, my phone was about to die. And so I had to plug it in and take out my headset. But um, can you hear me okay at the moment? Yep, yep. I'll, I'll okay. boost your audio a little bit. Perfect. So uh, just that idea of yes, this is true, that God does indeed hear my prayer. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a church body that said amen to a lot of stuff. Or, you know, someone would say something, amen. And now you think about it before you say that word, even though a lot of times people think it just means, okay, I'm done. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, in Jesus name, I'm done. You know, like, no, it's saying this is true that he hears our prayer and that what he has asked us to come to him for is right to come to him for. And so I, that's, those are my thoughts on amen. <laughs> give give us your closing thoughts for the episode too. If you have additional ones to add there. Um, no, I not. not that is, okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor Whedon, you get the last word tonight. 
Well, if Jesus is our amen, and uh, Paul says he is, he is the amen to every promise. He's the yes to every promise God made. He's given us these words, these petitions to carry to the Father. And we know we're not carrying them alone. All this hour here, we talked about our and the neighbor, but first hour is he's reaching his father to us as our father. He's inviting us into um, the life that's his inside of the Trinity, which is just an amazing thought. And so when we say the amen, we know that these are not things that we've dreamed up and these are not maybes and these are not, boy, I sure kind of hope, wouldn't it be nice if we say amen, because these things that we've these are what we've been commanded to ask. He has promised to hear us. And we know that since he's given us the very word and form that we address to him, uh, we know it's, it's guaranteed. It's going to be. So amen. So my, my last thought and personal pet peeve is the way most Lutherans say amen is like, yeah, I sure do kind of hope, sort of hope so. Um, amen. I always yell at my congregation and say, you know, for heaven's sake, say it like you actually mean it. It is so. It will be. Say it. Amen. Uh, it's hard to do when you're singing it. Amen. But even then you can sing it like you mean it as opposed to singing it like, yeah, wouldn't it be nice? So closing thought. Amen to that closing <laughs> thought. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us this evening. A special thank you to Pastor Densky and Pastor Whedon for joining us on Crucial Conversations teaching you to think like a confessor. Uh, this has been a wonderful conversation wrapping up the Lord's Prayer. We will be next back next week, Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central Time, to discuss baptism uh, and the large catechism and scripture and Luther on that. Once again, subscribe to our channel. If you haven't, subscribe to the podcast. If you prefer consuming your, your teaching via audio, we provide that way for you. And join the Grokmoot over on Facebook. All of this can be found at crucialproductions.org. Head on over there. We've even got a couple blog posts up now, starting to get those out as well. But once again, thank you for joining us for this episode of Crucial Conversations. I am your host, Peter Slayton, and I look forward to seeing you next week. <laughs>